Come on. The strong, the powerful Michael Frew is here on Lifeblood Create. Welcome, Michael. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you on. Michael is an entrepreneur. He is the owner and operator of Tyler Crown. It's an organization that manages, founds, and acquires cloud-based software products and services. Michael, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Absolutely. Yes. So I am actually probably what would be considered a retired software engineer. I did about 20 years of development and management as kind of my first career. And then that's when I switched to actually looking to acquire small software companies as pretty much my second career and have really enjoyed that and felt that that has been um, a pivot that I think a lot of other senior engineers might want to take a look at as they kind of age in their career. Um, and so I live out in Nevada, out in Las Vegas, and with my lovely wife, and uh, everything's going pretty well with all of that. Nice. Well, I appreciate that. What is it about um, software engineers that you think, once they're done doing the actual software engineering, that they should uh, potentially be investing? Uh, you know, there's this fairly open uh, discrimination in technology against ageism. Um, or for ageism, as a matter of fact. And it's something that's actually celebrated within the community. Fairly surprising, but it is a fact. And when you look across the board, there are some very successful 50 and 60-year-old engineers that are still working at large companies. But what you mainly find is that once you're out of your 20s, 30s, and 40s, you're going to get pushed out of that career. And so when I speak with younger engineers and you kind of look around your room and maybe everybody's your age or within 10 years – Somewhere there has to be a backup plan. And there's a lot of opportunities to look at many different things. And one of the ideas that I kind of push out there is if you have a background in technology, you have a background in managing people, start looking at possibly buying a business that would be in the software or the technology space so that you're kind of leveraging your own skills for your second career. And I know you've had some guests in the past that have also talked about purchasing a business instead of trying to start one themselves. And one thing I notice a lot is almost all the time that discussion is around offline brick and mortar businesses. There's also this huge online world with millions of businesses out there as well. And so I try and bring that kind of out to people to understand that that's also an asset class that you can get into. Nice. Well, I appreciate that. It certainly makes sense. How did, how did you find your way into uh, the space? I would love to say this was a pre-calculated, well-meditated <laughs> process. Um, when I got out of the career at about 19, 20 years, um, I honestly thought I was going to retire. I had done kind of that fire movement, and I had enough to sit on the beach for a while. And I think like most high achievers that end up in this space, that gets boring very quickly. And I suddenly was feeling that need to do something I had not given enough, I felt back to society that, you know, I still had a lot to give. And somewhere along the line, I started coming across online business brokers for online companies. And it started to click. And I started with a very small starter service. I think I spent a, a maybe $15,000, bought a site that, you know, would make a little money just to see if this was something that I would be interested in and could be competent at. And from there, moved up to six and seven figure businesses after that for purchase. Nice. All right. I appreciate that. Makes sense. Great job positioning yourself to be able to sit back and 
you know, be wise about your next move. So I always, I always want to credit people for that. You mentioned, and, and it certainly made sense that, that somebody who has been an engineer has, you know, but just sort of assuming, and let's, let, let's assume excellent technical knowledge. And then you mentioned if they have some management experience, um, tell me a little bit why, why, why that's important. Yeah, I think as you become the owner of the business, you know, you unless you're running it for yourself, which, of course, then you've kind of bought a job, which is OK. And I know there's this uh, conversation of, you know, never buy yourself a job. But if you happen to like it, you know, there's no problem with that. Mm -hmm. But as the business scales or if, if you're moving into a six or seven figure purchase, you're going to have contractors, you're going to have other engineers, you're going to have possibly employees, you have to deal with customer service. So you're going to be in the management of people role. And so you're also, you're doing the product development kind of map. You're going to be working with people as well. And this fits very well with kind of a technology management role that anybody in IT is probably going to experience if they do a 10 to 15, 20 year career already in corporate America. And that certainly does make sense. So for people who are listening and they say, okay, well, I've got, you know, stock options and I think that I'll probably be in a situation that Michael is describing here within the next couple of years. Is there are there certain skills that you would encourage people to be acquiring or thinking about in in the interim? That's a great question because, as you can imagine, when you're when you're running an online business, so much is going to come down to marketing online, um, outbound emailing and cold calling for certain types of business. And a lot of engineers like myself, we're inside the company. We deal with other engineers, um, kind of like the office space example. We don't talk <laughs> to customers, right? And so any experience, if you can do a quick one or two year stint where you're on the marketing team, or even if you're able to work with HR, to just kind of broaden those skills, because I can guarantee you something from that that you learn will really help long term. Because if you are looking at this in the way that I do, where I say, all right, I'm going to do this for 20 or 30 years, you're going to encounter all sorts of challenges like pandemics and who knows what's next. And a lot of that is going to be very helpful if you've had a different company pay for you to learn that on the job instead of trying to figure it out yourself. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. You know, you mentioned 20, 30, you know, maybe 40, 50 years, you know, so somebody works in software as, a, as an engineer for 20 years, makes enough money so that they'll be able to do whatever they want. You know, they're potentially 40 years old and they have right. this enormous amount of time. Um, so not necessarily buying a job, um, buying something that that's, that's, that's already going. Why, why not just start your own thing? Why, why Absolutely. acquire uh, it's a fantastic question. And so I uh, always come back to that with, you know, when you're starting something from scratch and it is very fun and there's this romantic ideal, especially in America of, of starting your own business. But when you're purchasing a business, you're already starting with cash flow. You're already starting with customers. You're already starting with feedback. You're not putting together your um, standard operating procedures. You've got everything is already intact and moving forward. And the most important thing is, you're probably close to product market fit. You don't have to go out there and put out an MVP that might work, spend six months building a product that nobody is interested in. You're past 90 to 95% of the businesses that will fail just because you get to pick and choose a business that's already running. And so the cost of that is, of course, either the capital or money that you would borrow to make that work. But when we see these stats that five years, you know, 80 to 90% of businesses fail, 
you're going to be hopefully outside of that group because you already have a business that's moving. It's already through its couple year to five year plus period. And you're just giving yourself the best chance to be successful long term instead of you know, like probably like you. I've got a million things I've started that went nowhere. Sure. And that gets tiring. <laughs> that gets, and it's uh, deflating to start with something that is actually working and to be able to scale it and really see results. Uh, that, that was something that I missed in my whole 20 year career. When you're in this belly of the beast of a corporate job, it's very rare to see something that you do that actually goes out there and you can say, Hey, this is something that Michael did when you're doing it for yourself and you're already starting with a business that's got runway. It's just a fantastic feeling. Yeah. I certainly appreciate that. So in, in your role and, and your, in the work that you're doing with Tyler crown or as Tyler crown are, are you sort of performing a matchmaking service? Tell me, tell me what you're doing. Yep. So I use Tyler crown as slightly an umbrella term to answer the question when your family says, I don't get it. What is it you do? <laughs> right. And, and because the internet is to many people, very confusing to understand, like, how does this money end up in your bank account? What is it you're doing? So Tyler Crown is kind of the umbrella of a few different LLCs that I keep. And I do it very much like a real estate um, investor would do where each one or two investment houses would be in a different LLC just for the separation of legal and make everything flow really well for accounting. And my major role is I'm always looking for acquisitions. I'm always looking for if I need to sell anything that I've previously bought and scaled. And then the product and company roadmap of going forward as well as managing everybody that's kind of running the business on the day to day. So that's pretty much when I wake up in the morning, that's the goal of the day is to kind of look at that whole breadth of responsibility. Nice. What do you, and you've, you've been now, you've now been doing this, 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 this for a good little while. What do you think that you're really good at? One of the things that I've found um, to kind of heart back to what we've spoken about earlier is having managed and been an engineer you understand the challenges that engineers face and you don't give them, let's say, hard deadlines that you kind of know that you got in the past and you're like, there's no way this will work. So having kind of that engineering background has been a real advantage for me against other competitors looking to buy the same businesses where I can walk up to the seller and say, listen, I'm Michael Frew. You can look at me online. I've done what you've done. Um, I'm not going to take your baby and outsource it to a bunch of people that don't care. Um, we're experts at doing this inside of our organization. We already have the tech stack that you're using. We can take care of your baby when you sell it to us. I think that's kind of one of the things that I'm best at is I can take kind of that engineering point of view. And when you're buying a lot of these businesses from single founder engineers, there's a you, me, same, same that works out really well when you're trying to kind of pitch it to them that, Hey, I'm a good buyer for your asset that you're selling. Yeah, that's certainly true. I mean, I can't imagine that. There's the people that have made it through that fire of 80 to 90% of businesses that have failed and then just want to hand the keys over to some guy or gal who, uh, you know, is going to ruin it. You know, I'm sure that they do want the confidence that you're somebody who's been in the seat and you have a better appreciation of what they've gone through. Yes, there's definitely a misconception that people are selling the business and they're just going for the top dollar. Mm. And I found that's just not true. If you're talking to most of the businesses I've bought, People are selling it not because they want to, but because there's some reason they have to. For example, 
one purchase was the guy had gotten a job offer from an amazing company to do an amazing role, but part of it meant he had to divest all of his um, own personal projects. So he wasn't selling because of something disastrous like a divorce. He was selling because he had to, but he wanted to make sure that his customers were taken care of, that his project didn't fall apart, and that you know the purchaser was caring about the business. And so when you can come to them and say, listen, I've been in your shoes. I know how to make this work. I understand the challenge that you're going through. Let's work together to make sure that five years from now, the customers are still just as happy and may not have even noticed that you're not there anymore. Got it. That has to be a pretty ideal scenario for you to be able to navigate through when you have somebody who's growing a really successful business. They just have this amazing opportunity that came along and part of the new employment contract says, we need to divest this. How do you, yeah. how, in, in, in other examples or instances, how do you go about finding new opportunities and vetting them? Great question. Um, so like many businesses, there are business brokers that deal with online businesses. A pretty simple Google search and your audience can find probably some of the top ones. And each broker kind of deals with a different, uh, let's say niche or vertical within the online business space. So you can find kind of the best ones for each one. And then from there, you can also reach out to people that might be in parallel businesses. Like I look at some of my competitors and say, hey, should we team up? Should we roll up and sell this to somebody else in private investment? So you can kind of start looking around once you're, let's say, in the community, because it's not a huge community of people that are buying online businesses. It's growing. And the pandemic has accelerated that um, exponentially. But we're still a small group compared to, let's say, mom and pop real estate investments as an asset or even uh, offline retail establishments as an investment. So we're a small group, and once that starts going, there's a lot of actual trading around in the same sphere because we find, hey, I'm doing this, you're doing this, why don't we team up and do this or go in a different direction? So it's one of those, like most things, the more you play in the space, the more opportunities you find. Yeah, I think that, that certainly does make sense. It would, I mean, I'm just thinking if I were, um, looking to, if, if, if I were an engineer that, uh, you know, sort of in the position we've been talking about this whole time, I've got money, I've got a desire. Um, obviously I don't want to buy some business that some guy or gal is just trying to sell cause they're tired of it. Or, or, or I, I guess I shouldn't make assumptions like that. I guess, right, yeah. I guess it's all very, very, um, uh, I guess all very relative. Yeah. I, I think I've seen a lot where, uh, we're all serial entrepreneurs, right? So we start five things at the same time and one of them takes off and the other four are okay, but it put in somebody else's hands that has the time and dedication, they can turn the, you know, the gas on that one really well. And so, yeah, even if someone's saying, Hey, I just don't have time. That doesn't mean it's a bad fit for you. It might be a perfect fit or a good starter project to kind of get your feet wet and, and decide, is this really something I want to do? Yeah common mistakes that you see people make as they're trying to buy a business? I purchased a business in a vertical in niche that I didn't really understand the underlying marketplace. And by that, I mean, if you were, let's say you were going to go into an Amazon FBA business, which is a fulfillment by Amazon. And you may not catch on to the fact that you have to be sourcing these products. You have to be storing them somewhere that they have inventory costs and all of these other little things that you just thought was really just putting it up on Amazon to sell and then you make money. I think a lot of times what I see mistakes is people get into a specificity that they don't have enough experience in quite yet. And that's where it might be better, like I had said earlier, 
to buy something kind of small, almost with money that you're okay to lose, right? And I've always said, you know, I went and got an MBA. I probably would have rather saved that $120,000 and bought a couple small businesses. I would have gotten just the same education, if not better. Hmm. So take some of that small money and try a different niche or category that you think you might like. Maybe you like selling things on a Shopify store. Give it a try. And then hopefully you avoid this kind of common error that I have seen where people are buying in a vertical that they just don't understand and they can't quite turn the gas on. And you see them looking to sell two years later and the company's either flat or gone down a little bit. And that's going to hurt your resale value. I love it. Makes sense. Well, Michael, the people are ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? <laughs> hey, you know, and, and I have a feeling it's not going to be as amazing now that we've had this whole long discussion. But what I always tell people is stop trying to start a business and start getting the financial literacy to buy one, especially if you're 20 or 30 and you're listening to this interview right now and you've got time to save money, start learning about it, getting involved. That would be, if I was talking to Michael Frew younger, that's what I would tell myself. Start educating yourself on how to buy or acquire your next career wealth creating process instead of trying to start it over and over and over. Well, I think that that is great stuff that definitely gets, come on. Come on. Michael, <laughs> thank, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can people engage with you? Uh, I've got a, a website that I write on. It's called michaelfrew.com. And I basically write about the buyer's perspective of online business buying. We get a lot of, um, let's say, a lot of commentary from the brokers that are out there. But remember, the brokers work for sellers. So I didn't see many people on the buy side like myself discussing things. So I started writing about that on my own website when I get some free time and hopefully give some people education and thoughts of maybe what to do next. I love it. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Michael your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to michaelfrew.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-F-R-E-W.com. And check out the great resources and try to determine as quickly as possible if you are a better candidate to start a business or buy or acquire a business. Thanks again, Michael. Thanks again for having me. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.